be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning, so turn that way in your Bible. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for this, this season of joy, of great and exceeding joy as we see in Scripture as well. But Lord, let us make sure that we, we focus on you with that and understand that you are the source of our joy. You are the source of life. And though you came as a babe, you came in order to be born in us as well. And may we recognize that and make sure that that's a priority for ourselves. Bless this time. Open up your word to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, it's unusual for us to have three Sundays in the Christmas season. And uh, because of that, I've kind of taken advantage of that. And We've looked at the pre-birth of Jesus, the present birth of Jesus with the shepherds last week. And today we're going to look at the post-birth of Jesus and the events that followed after that. With the pre-birth, remember we saw the, the prophets of old, and we saw the angels of new with that as well. And, and, and with that, we recognize what God has planned all along. Any event of true importance is going to be mentioned in the Old Testament, not just in the new. And so whether it be the birth of Christ, whether it be the suffering of the Savior, whether it be his sinless life, whether it be the, the atonement and the forgiveness of sin that Jesus provides for us, whether it's his resurrection, whether it's the second coming of Jesus, all these things are mentioned in the Old Testament, not just in the New. And so it points us to these things. And of course, there's many more things in the Old Testament that, have, that are of great importance and are also in the New Testament as well. But those are the ones that we are uh, interested today for the study that we have. Now, some of the details of the things that have been going on that Scripture talks about in the Old Testament and are fulfilled in the New Testament are astounding. We talked about the suffering of Jesus. Isaiah 53 causes a majority of, of Jewish people to look at that and, and decide, I'm never going to look at that again. They just completely take it out of their Bibles because it shows how Jesus fits that to a T. And if they think about it, they're going to be forced to believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. Well, the birth of Jesus was mentioned in Isaiah chapter 7. Chapter 9, like, like Robert read, but chapter 7, where it says, Behold, a virgin will bear a son. And we're told where he's going to be born. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that specific one. We are told his lineage. And that's why Matthew goes back 42 generations to show how Jesus through David all the way to Abraham. Now, probably most of us here haven't made it past like three or four of those generations before we went, oh, yeah, we well, yeah. need to fast forward through all that boring stuff. But that boring stuff shows the Jewish people and the people who understand that the Messiah must be born through David. It shows them conclusively that he was. In fact, there are 108 prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. 108. I'm not a statistician, but those who are, they say the probability of Jesus not being the Messiah after fulfilling only 12 of those would be like taking a silver dollar or silver dollars and covering the entire state of Texas with them, not Rhode Island, but Texas with them, three feet high 
having one silver dollar specially marked that you couldn't see, and you going and picking that exact dollar with one try. That's astounding. That, I mean, that makes it so that clearly with 108 prophecies fulfilled, Jesus must be the, the, the Messiah. He must be the one who has fulfilled all these things. The Word of God is absolutely true. Now, it is true that with that, that statistic that came out, it was talking about, you know, the full-sized silver dollar, not the Susan B. Anthony, which are smaller. So it's, it's much less spectacular if you talk about that because it's only like two feet, two inches high if, if you use those. Anyway, all of this is set up to what we have today. The events that happened after Jesus was born came about because the people already knew that they were going to happen. It was something that they had already been told about. So pre-birth of Jesus, check, did that. Present birth of Jesus, check. But what happened afterwards? What happened after the birth of Jesus? And many of you guys know where I'm going with this because, well, what haven't we talked about in this Christmas season? The three wise men, right? We haven't done that yet. We three kings of Orient are. Well, like many Christmas songs, the theology isn't 100%. And I'm not even talking about Mariah Carey. First, there were more than three of them. Ooh. And they were not kings. And third, people picture that the, the wise men came the same night that Jesus was born, either right after the shepherds left or while they were still there, because that's what our nativity scenes show us, right? We, we, we think that this is how it was because we see the picture of it. But let's look at the word so we can glean cooler stuff than fiction. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived at Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathered, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, people say that there were three kings. Why would they say three in fact, they even have them named who they are. And they were from three different parts of the Orient, which is why they have three different ethnicities. But again, growing up with, with the nativity scene that I had, that's exactly what it was. We had three different ethnicities because they clearly came from different places. But those stories came from the Middle Ages. It was made up 
way long time after that, and I doubt it was supposed to be anything but a bedtime story, kind of talking about the wise men and, and maybe making it so that it made more sense to the, to the children or something, but I don't think that it was anything more than that. Let's look at what happened. Was there three of them? It says that Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled, that they were shaken to the core. Yeah, you see three guys coming in with camels, in Jerusalem at that time. It, I mean, if three guys with camels walked in here, we would, yeah, be troubled, especially if you clean the church. But if you were in Jerusalem, would that bother you? Would you even notice three guys and camels? This is a, a major intersection of the trading route that they had back then. And so people were coming and going like that all the time. Now, what would get their attention, what would cause them to be troubled is if there was a big long line of them, if there was a huge entourage with them. It might even appear like there's some kind of an invasion because of all the people that are coming with them, many dudes with many camels. And though you might wonder, since this is from Babylon, which is the world center for oriental rugs, whether they came on camels or if they came on a Magi carpet ride. I tested that with Jerry and a couple other people, and he gave me a thumbs up for it. But anyway, and I'm not saying this is 100%, but there are people who research these kinds of things, and if you're a Chuck Missler fan, then you've already heard this. But the whole idea that there was a, a huge entourage of people coming and coming to worship the king makes more sense. Why do people say that there were three? Well, because there were three gifts, right? We'll give him gold and frankincense. But wait, there's myrrh. Well, you can see why many people will think that. And if you're one of they that think that there were three kings for the three gifts and stuff, that's fine. I don't care. It's cool. I don't want to argue with anybody about it. But I, I hope you guys listen to a different explanation and, and make up your mind after that. So these guys show up. Who are they? Where are they from? When did they come? And when did they visit? Now let me give you a quick history for those who weren't here during our Daniel study. David is king of Israel. We knew that, right? He's followed by his son Solomon after the death of David. When Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam comes to the throne temporarily. See, Ten of the 12 tribes said, we are not going to follow after Rehoboam. In fact, we're going to set up our own king. His name is Jeroboam, no relation, and, and set up our, our own king. And you can either be a part of us or you can forget us. And so that's where Israel and Judah divided. Judah and Levi are the two tribes that make up the nation of Judah. Judah is important because that's where the Messiah is going to come from. And so Assyria is the world power at the time. They've been going through conquering everybody in the known world, just coming up and annex, annexing all the different people that were around them and make them a part of them. Well, Israel had been warned by every prophet in the, in the Old Testament. The major prophets, the minor prophets, all of them told Israel, stop sinning. Stop rebelling against God. If you don't repent of this, you are going to go into captivity. But not a single king of Israel 
followed after God. They split off like this, not a single one of them followed after God. And so God allowed them to be out from under his protection. And in 732 B.C., not B.C.E., it's B.C., before Christ, okay? The Assyrians started to haul away Israel. And they took the, the brightest, the smartest, the best-looking of the people, the one who had talent, the one who were skilled, and took them away until Israel was no more. Well, Judah had some wicked kings, but she also had some good, godly kings. And because of that, God continued his grace, working with them and stuff, until they finally got to the point where they just absolutely refused the Lord, would not follow after him, and they were taken into captivity as well. But it's much later than that. The Assyrians are no longer in power. Babylon had conquered Assyria and had taken over all of their empire. So Babylon was the empire that seized Judah and brought them to Babylon, which was where much of Israel still was, but not all of them. And uh, a really long story made fairly short. The book of Daniel happens from Meshach, <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Daniel being exalted as uh, a person who interpreted dreams to the lion's den. All those different things happen. But a part of that group of, of people that Nebuchadnezzar had to interpret dreams, Daniel became the head of them. He just kept on being exalted until he was the head of them. And these guys were known as magicians, for one. The term consisted of the idea that was part of the pagan religion that they were a part of prior to that elevation of Daniel. Well, the root of magician is magi. See, you wondered, where is he going with this, man? Is he, is he ever going to get there? Well, Daniel turned this group of men that had started out with pagan ideas and stuff into a group of people that were monotheistic, one God, and they, they looked at the different things of, of science and of history through the lens of who Jehovah God is. And so part of that was astronomy and astrology. Not the, ooh, the planets are going to determine part of my life. No, that's, that's nonsense. Don't even think about those things. But even before the flood, there's records of people dealing with the astrology with the different constellations that were out there and things. All right, well, keep the story short. All right. Which is hard because I find it fascinating. But anyway, Daniel left them with a promise. He said, not only is Judah going to return and become a nation again, but Judah is going to become a great nation again, and there is going to be one king, the king of all, the king of the Jews, who is going to reign forever. His kingdom would have no end. And so these magi, they're supposed to be looking for some kind of event in the sky that's going to be the sign that this Messiah has been born. And because the Magi are no longer pagans at this time, this whole concept of the king of the Jews would be greatly interesting to them. Well, fast forward, we saw in verse 2, for he who has been born, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Just as Daniel had told them, so it has happened here. Well, Herod, being a wicked man, he was set on the throne by Caesar, 
And he did not want to hear this. He had been calling himself the king of the Jews. And so having a different king of the Jews would mean his replacement. And replacement came through insurrection and the death of the king who was already there. And so to prevent that, we see what happened starting in verse 7. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasure and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So what is this star? Some people say, well, it had a comet that went by, and that was the sign to the, to the Magi that something's about to happen. So they prepared, and then a year later when that comet came by again, then they followed it to Jerusalem. Seems a little bit unlikely to me. Other people say that it was a, a group of constellations and different things. You got Saturn, you got Virgo, you got all these different things. And they make a compelling story for all this, a timeline for all this. And uh, it makes some kind of sense. It's quite possible that that's what it is. But I personally don't think that that's what happened. For one thing, because it says it was a star. Secondly, because that star moved and then it stopped in a matter of minutes, not months. So it seems to me that it was something different than that. Do that with what you want. I mean, hopefully you'll continue to love me just like I love you. But is this possible that this is the fulfillment of a prophecy that came in the book of Numbers where it says that, a star will arise in Judah, and a king will be born. Anyway, a third possibility for this is, like we saw last week with the angels and the shepherds, right? The glory of the angels shone around these guys. And so it is quite possible that this is simply an angel up there showing the glory of God and leading the people to that place. I think this is quite possible because angels are sometimes called stars, if you think about what even said about uh, Lucifer, said that he was the bright and morning star. It would cause the Magi to be able to follow even in the daytime if they wanted to. Anyway, they saw this child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. This is not reverence for a king. This isn't coming into the presence of a king and bowing down. This is worshipping this person. It is the worship of God. And so in the three weeks that we've been looking at the Christmas story, we have three proofs of the deity of Jesus. And so it's something that we should actually think about, hold on to. Even the gifts were prophetic that they brought. Gold is a symbol of royalty for the king of kings. You didn't come into the presence of a king without bringing a gift of gold. That's just how it was done back then. So they recognized him as a king. 
Frankincense is the symbol of the priestly ministry that Jesus was going to have as our high priest. But with this, the frankincense, in order for it to give off its aroma, its sweet-smelling aroma, it has to be crushed. It has to be crushed into powder in order to release that. And doesn't that sound familiar? Like with Isaiah 53, where it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So fulfillment, fulfillment of that as well. And so myrrh, it was a substance that they used. Man, this stuff is smelly. It, it is so pungent. It is, it is crazy. I used to have some. You guys may remember me bringing up, I didn't have gold, but frankincense and myrrh. And that stuff was just so powerful. Put it into a plastic bag, put it in a paper bag, put it in the box, and still it stunk up the church. So I hid it somewhere, and I have no idea where it's at. <laughs> You'd think I'd be able to smell it. But anyway, it was so strong that they used it along with spices for the burial of a person to keep away the stench of the decaying body, which makes sense. When the women came to Jesus' tomb, they brought spices and they also uh, brought myrrh so that they might anoint his body as well. So, again, far more than just earthly reverence, this is a heavenly worship of Messiah. I mean, even Herod recognized he is Messiah. The second part is that the Magi worshipped him. I mean, Mary is right there. And if Mary is ever to be worshipped at all, at any time, she would have been worshipped right there at that time. And then it says that after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they went home a different way which really torqued Herod. I mean, you can read this. And, I mean, he was mad. He was jumping up and down mad. I mean, he said, report to me so that I might come and mur at worship him as, as well. Again, remember, Herod is shaken to the core. He is threatened of his very life. And Herod was an evil man. Maybe you already knew that. He was an evil man, but he was also a paranoid man. He knows that the, the way that it usually happens is that a son comes and takes over after the father dies. And if the son causes the father to die, then he will be king earlier. And so he was so paranoid about two of his sons that he had each of them executed at different times. He also had his Jewish wife that he married just to make peace with the Jewish people because he wasn't even a Jew. He had her put to death as well. And then he came and, and saw his brother-in-law, thought, man, he's someone that could be against me, and he murdered him as well. It is said of Herod that it was safer to be one of his pigs than one of his sons because he killed his sons. Verse 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent men and killed all the boys who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity who were two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, 
weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. I mean, how could he do this? How could he murder children? I mean, that's a Hamas thing to do. How could he be that evil? Well, how could he not be? This is the rightful king of the Jews. And for him to be the king of the Jews, then Herod must die. So it is better for him to die than for Herod to die, was his thought. But what a wicked man he is. Now, I, I skipped a section here that said that God warned Joseph in a dream and said, go on to Egypt. And he did, and Jesus and the family were safe. Okay, Joseph was no slacker. God speaks to him a few times in Scripture because he's the head of the family. But the question about when this is, time-wise, in relation to Jesus' birth is significant. We know it wasn't in the stable because it says in verse 11 that they were in a house. Remember, they're in the city of David, right? How many of the, the people of the house of David returned because of the census to the city of David? Well, all of them, right? And so because of this, all of the people in Bethlehem at that time are related to Mary and also to Joseph. So why are they in a stable? Why did they even look at the inn if they have so much family in this place? It shows just how much shame was brought upon them because of the birth of this child. So whether they relocated to Bethlehem or whether it's a few days later and, and people have opened up their home to them is unknown and it's really unimportant. So whatever. The second thing is that it is after the dedication at the temple. The woman who has given birth to her firstborn has to go to the temple and has to be cleansed, have to have the sacrifice in order to do that. We know that it was before the wise men came because they offered two turtle doves instead of a lamb because they were poor. People who have gold, frankincense, and myrrh are not poor. So it's at least eight days after the birth of Jesus. I wonder if they didn't offer a lamb because Jesus actually was that lamb. Don't know. Third, it says a young child. It doesn't say a baby. To the shepherds it was, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But this is a young child that it speaks of here. Was it two years later? No. Let me ask you, how old is Asher? Is Forrest? Is Everest? Is Rayleigh? Is Callum? We got a couple extras running around here. All sorts of ankle biters this morning. How old are they? Now, some of the women may have some kind of an idea. And Grandpa, don't say anything. They may have some kind of an idea how old these, these kids are. But the guys, man, we'll be counting on our fingers and toes trying to figure out how long we've seen these little guys running around here. And the soldiers wouldn't know the exact age of the children that they were to kill. So do you think that Herod 
if he's willing to kill everyone two years old and younger, do you think that he has any qualms if, if the child is a year old, that he would kill all the two-year-olds and, and under as well? If I'm going to do something and I want to make sure that it's done, I'm going to go bigger than just that place. It's not some kind of a surgical thing. It's something where I'm going to kill everyone that meets any kind of the criteria for this. Now, one of the things that they could have used for this is that they weaned the children at three years old. So if the child was weaned, you're okay. If it wasn't weaned, it was a male, it was put to death. He wanted to be certain. Now, my personal belief is that Jesus was somewhere between nine days and one year old. Again, it's not important what I believe with this. No, it's after nine days, and I think that it was a year or so with this. All of these things we look at, we see the history of it. And the history is super important because it gives us confidence for the spiritual things. God said this, and this is what happened. It's not that God said this, and yeah, we can, we can bend it, we can spin it, we can make it kind of look like that. No, God said this, and this happened 108 times. And so when we look at the history of these things, the confidence that we should have in our spiritual lives and trusting in Jesus should just be enormous. We should go, it isn't something that's just a blind faith. This is a faith in the Christ that has been prophesied, who has been proven to be, and has been born again from the dead. Born again from the dead. I did not mean to say that. <laughs> there's... there's some false teacher that said something about Jesus being the first one that was born again. And I've been thinking about that. That's not what I meant to say. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Okay? So these are things that we know have happened because history shows it. It isn't 12 fishermen or 11 fishermen and a tax gatherer saying these kinds of things. This is what the witnesses say. This is what history says. This is what is proven here. What we see here is that the story of the Magi has some spiritual implications for us as well. Again, the fulfillment of prophecy with that. But the news of the birth of the king of the Jews was taken from these people who saw the king of the Jews and went back to Babylon with it. And so there was an understanding of the Messiah being born back in Babylon. They went back to the Orient. They didn't stay there with that. And I, I was debating whether to tell a joke, but I will. Because talking to, to Joash and, uh, about him being an American citizen, coming from the Philippines, becoming an American citizen, would that cause him to be disoriented? And I didn't expect him to be here today. I checked with him in the foyer. What I was actually going to do is that I say that I had talked to him and that three days later he said, oh, I get it. <laughs> because the funniest parts of my jokes is when he finally translates it and, and he gets it and stuff. Love you, Joash. Anyway, the news came to Herod. The gospel message has come to Herod. It comes to all people. It isn't just to those people who are good enough. So if you're thinking that you're not good enough, A, you're right. But the gospel message comes to you because of the grace of God. Now, I mentioned last week that 
the message came to the shepherds because not all kings would humble themselves to this. And we see that Herod indeed would not humble himself to the true king of the Jews. Again, if he was to be the king of the Jews, it would mean the death of Herod. Now, people came from hundreds of miles away to come and to worship the Messiah here. We have Herod that wouldn't come five miles. We have these, these priests, we have these scribes, we have these leaders of the, of the religious Jews, and they said, this is where Messiah is going to be born. And they knew that he had been born because of the testimony of the wise men. But they didn't come the five miles and find him either, from what we see. All of Jerusalem has heard the message and are trying to figure out what's going on because of the commotion that was there with this entourage. Well, what's going on? What's, well, Messiah has been born over in Bethlehem. We don't see those people coming and worshiping them. All these things are important to us, even spiritually, because we have to ask ourselves, what about us? They wouldn't go five miles. Will we come from here to here? Because we know the truth. Will we allow Jesus to be our Messiah? Because if he's going to be our Messiah, if he's going to be the king of our lives, then we have to die to self. And we don't like that. But we need it. And if you've done that, you know that it's the best decision you've ever made. And if you haven't done it, it's the best decision you could ever make, following after Jesus. And one last thing with all of this, they brought the treasure. And with this treasure, it paid for their trip. Because remember, they had to escape to Egypt. And so all of that paid for their trip there and their trip back. They didn't apparently have any left over when they got back. But it's a, a cool thing that, that uh, they had that at that point. Another thing here, with all these people talking about this, this birth of Messiah, 30 years later, this excitement about knowing that Messiah, he's around here somewhere. We keep hearing these stories. And the Spirit of God was working on them so that when, when they recognized who Jesus was, that they would give him their life. So will you give him your life? Whether in this room, whether watching on Facebook or wherever this video may go, the question is, what about you? What about me? Do we come and do we bow down and worship, give our lives to this Messiah, the King of Kings? I trust that you do. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to look at these different things from the cradle through the cross to the, to the return of Jesus and understand that you have always had a plan. You have always had a way of forgiveness for us knowing that we were going to sin. And God, I pray that we would be wise enough to give you our sin, whether past or present, and make it so that you are the king of our hearts. Let us die to self so that we might live to you. We thank you for your birth, Lord Jesus, and all it meant for you to leave glory behind and to suffer as a, as a human suffers. Lord, you are our high priest, and you know how we suffer. And God, at this time, there's a lot of people who do suffer because of the time of year we're in. And I pray, Lord, that 
anyone who is suffering in that way, that they would turn to you recognizing that you understand exactly what it means. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that you would instill your word into our hearts that we might live it and not have just simply heard it. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, bless you guys. Have a great day. Happy New Year, all that. Come to the party tonight, yada, yada.